The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. You know, I thought I was creating a, a bad guy and I was just trying to make him just interesting and likable enough so that people would keep reading. But I didn't think anyone would really go, wow, he's great. I wish I knew him. Hey, I have a list for him. And, you know, I was glad that that it took off like it did. But it was always a shock to me that people actually liked Dexter. Greetings, scribes, and welcome back to The Writer Files. I am still your humble host, Kelton Reed, wishing you positivity, productivity, and prosperity. And this week, the internationally best-selling thriller writer of the Dexter series, Jeff Lindsay, chatted with me about his previous life in the dramatic arts, marrying into literary royalty, and what it's like to hang out with actor Andy Garcia. Jeff's the New York Times best-selling author of the Dexter novels, which debuted in 2004 with Darkly Dreaming Dexter and was adapted by Showtime into the popular TV series that ran for eight seasons. His latest novel is Fool Me Twice, the second in his recent Riley Wolf series about a master thief that targets the wealthiest 0.1%. Publishers Weekly said of the series in a starred review, fans of the Ocean's Eleven film franchise will be eager for more. Jeff's also spent time as an actor, comedian, playwright, and more. In this file, Jeff and I discussed the signs that pointed to being a writer, what it's like to be married to a Hemingway, on moral ambiguity, famous last words, and enduring anti-heroes, the return of Dexter to the small screen, a memorable dinner with Armistead Maupin, and more. Stay safe and stay sane out there. Cheers. See you soon. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews as soon as they're published and leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts to help other writers find us. Yes, welcome back to The Writer Files. I am honored today to be joined by a special guest. I've got best-selling author Jeff Lindsay joining us. Thanks for doing this, man. Um, I know you're busy. And um, how are you? How are you surviving there? Well, I'm not really sure I am yet, but uh, <laughs> it's a job of work, as we like to say. <laughs> uh, we're hanging on. We've all been affected by this, and not just the pandemic, which would have been enough. But so far, um, no one I know has been fatally affected. So um, you know, 
thank you whatever gods are in charge of this yeah yeah well i'm happy to hear um that you're doing okay and that uh your family is okay but yeah we are here to talk about writing and the writing life and your latest opus but uh yeah i want to um turn the clock back a little bit and just go back um maybe kind of pre dexter days talk a little bit about how you got here how you became this wildly popular best-selling author and you know kind of uh your background even a little bit uh maybe about your kind of dramatic arts days yeah it's um it's a terribly sad story um i was um i, I was an actor and i was with a um a, a repertory company and we had a, a new play booked and the director came to me and said um, the playwright died. Don't you do some writing too? Uh, can you do the play instead? So I ended up being a writer and, um, I got out to Hollywood and I was trying comedy and some friends said, you know, that's pretty good stuff. Could you write some for me? And so now I'm a writer again. And I was in a band and they said, we don't want to do covers. Can you write material? And I was a writer <laughs> again. And, at a certain point, you just go, okay, I get it. Yeah, someone's trying to tell me something. And um, the capper was when this this young girl I had known when I was growing up in Miami. Uh, our families were good friends. And she came out to Hollywood, and I was, you know, trying to host her. I took her around, you know, to um, to a comedy thing and then to a band rehearsal and then to a theater where a play I'd written was up and I was acting in it too. And afterwards, uh, I said to her, well, what did you think? There's that great scene in uh, City Slickers where Curly holds up one finger and says one thing. And that's basically the scene she played with me. She <laughs> said, you'd be really good if you just do one thing. And as it happened, this girl... Um, was a, a young screenwriter named Hillary Hemingway. And um, we started writing together. And one thing led to another. And 30-some years later, we're still happily married with three kids. And we don't write together anymore, which is a shame. But we're still together. And I bounce everything off her. She bounces it off me. And it, it works. That's a pretty amazing story. Um, yeah, that's that's an interesting connection uh, to a lit to a literary lion. Is there is there ever kind of that specter of uh, you know the great um, Ernest Hemingway kind of peering over your shoulder as you're writing? Well, the first twenty years or so, every place we went, I was Mister Hemingway, and in <laughs> all, the only topic of conversation for everybody was my wife's dead uncle which gets a little much. And uh, finally, when Dexter took off and we were checking into a conference or something, and someone referred to her as Mrs. Lindsay. And I looked at her to see how she was taking it, and she was smiling a thousand-watt smile. And I said, what? And she said, I've been waiting for that for so long. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. Um, so I never feel him over my shoulder, although... Every now and then, I, I wonder how he would express his contempt for what I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, I don't think he would express contempt. Um, he certainly has that incredible legacy uh, to get down to the keys often to kind of go to his haunts ever. Not anymore. Um, I, I, I'm not putting it down. A lot of people still like it. But uh, Ernest left in the late 30s because he said the place was overrun with tourists. <laughs> right. And I first started going there when I was a kid in high school and so on. And, you know, it was, a, it was pretty much a ghost town. And I really liked it. It had a real flavor to it. And the last time we were down there, it's just, um, you know, no offense, but it could be downtown Cleveland. It's nothing but sh uh, chain shops, franchise stores and restaurants and things. And it, to me, it's really lost the flavor that made it a place I liked. So uh, I don't feel compelled to go back anymore. But, you know, it's still worth seeing if you haven't been there. There's the Hemingway House, among other things. Yeah. But uh, I think I'm done. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow, mercy is the bow a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books, and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview, and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. I I, th I found it interesting as we start to turn our attention toward your uh, Riley Wolf novels, which we're going to talk about here, that uh, Publishers Weekly had said that fans of Ocean Eleven would, would really be excited about this series. And of course, it has that kind of cinematic flair to it. Talk a little bit about this very interesting connection I found because, of course, Andy Garcia blurbed um, the first in the series. And talk about that connection because if you look at Ocean's Eleven and you look at Hemingway, um, they're kind of worlds apart. But, but talk a little bit about your relationship with uh, Mr. Garcia. Well, um, actually, uh, we got to know him because Hillary is working on a long-term project with him, a screenplay. And 
uh, you, you know, I, I, I was 12 years of hard time in Hollywood, and I know what it's like, and I know what the people are like. So I wasn't expecting a lot. But we started every now and then meeting with Andy and realized that he's, um, he's one of the most down-to-earth, warm, genuine people you could ever meet. And walking through Miami with him, uh, he's like a god there. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, people stop him and ask for a photograph and, and an autograph. And he's always, of course, sure, how are you? How do you want it? Did that one come out okay? You want to try another? Um, just the nicest person in the world. And like Hillary and I, he's, you know, he's about family uh, over everything else. And he's one of the most loyal people I've ever met for his friends. And he has an incredible code that just, it, it makes him someone I'm really happy I know, which was a, not just a surprise, but a total stunning shock in someone who is, you know, he's a movie star. Hmm. Um, <laughs> my favorite story is we went over to his place um, to take a boat ride. He had the new model of Hemingway's Pilar that he was trying out. <laughs> and um, he called before we went and said, what, we, what do you want for lunch on the boat? And um, we told him and we got there and it was ready. And he'd made the sandwiches, which I didn't think anything about. But, uh, you know, it was nice. We had a great time. And as we're driving home, I look in the mirror and my daughter, who's I think 10 at the time, is giggling her head off. And I said, what's so funny? And she said, I can go into school tomorrow and tell them that a movie star made my peanut butter sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty cool. That, that's the kind of guy Andy is. Um, he's, he's a wonderful guy. And I think of him as a, a great human being first and a movie star second. Yeah, he's been in some incredible roles. And of course, a true talent, true, true yes. talent. He's amazing. Good director, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I go back to Untouchables or... Um, he was even in a movie called Things to Do in Denver When You're Dead. Um, but yeah, just a truly talented guy. That's a really amazing relationship. Hey, just a quick break to mention that this week's show is sponsored by Neuro. Neuro makes functional gum and mints that help you better your mind and do more. Launched by athletes with backgrounds in neuroscience and chemistry, they imagined health supplements you could easily carry in your pocket and take on the go throughout the day instead of having to gulp down a bunch of pills in the morning. The great thing is these patented cold compressed gum and mints are gluten-free, sugar-free, vegan, and work a lot faster than drinks and supplements. They're loved by Olympians, engineers, academics, fitness peeps, and creatives like you and me stuck at home staring at the screen. The energy and focus products have been shown to improve brain performance in a pilot study out of the Harvard Innovation Labs, and the new Calm and Clarity line uses ingredients scientifically shown to reduce stress and stabilize mood. Because they're gum and mints, they're easy to carry, taste great, and give you fresh breath. I honestly dig them because they take the stress out of having to brew or find that cup of coffee during the time in the day. We could all use a boost and a little easier on the wallet. Head over to getneuro.com to order and better your state of mind now. That's G-E-T-N-E-U-R-O.com. Getneuro.com. Use the code WRITER to get 15% off your first order today. But uh, let's turn our attention to Fool Me Twice and uh, the latest in this Riley Wolf series uh, about this master thief. And 
I, I, what I find very interesting about your writing, of course, is not only the cinematic quality, and of course you have that, um, that background in, in playwriting and screenwriting, um, which lends to that, it would seem, but there's kind of these ripped from the headlines relevancy, of course, uh, which is fascinating. And then the moral ambiguity piece, which is, which is a, also incredibly compelling. So talk a little bit about Fool Me Twice and the latest in this uh, endeavor of yours and, uh, yeah, pulling off the impossible crime, as you put it. Yeah, well, that's, uh, that's the thing. Riley Wolf is um, he's not in it for the money. Uh, he's made plenty of money, but that's not the thrill for him. What gets him off is doing things that uh, everyone else says are impossible. Um, you know, that, that's the title of the first book. Someone says to him, it's impossible. And he goes, just watch me. <laughs> um, and it, it's more than impossible. It's like, you can't possibly do it. That was what started him. It's really a very exaggerated case of I'll show you. Uh, <laughs> I, I, my new joke about it is that because Riley's a Southerner, um, it's, it's kind of a very sophisticated and well-developed case of that's nothing. Hold my beer. Watch this. <laughs> uh, famous last words in the South, hold my beer. <laughs> but um, to him, that that challenge, the job, is everything. And I think this is where the moral ambiguity comes in. Uh, we've probably all known people who are so focused on getting a job done that they don't see the collateral damage they're doing. And I think Riley usually sees it, but it doesn't matter because the important thing is getting the job done. So if there's a, an obstacle in the way, he goes over it or around it or destroys it. And if there's a person in the way threatening the job, he doesn't mind killing them. It's not what he's about, but it's not a big deal either if it's interfering with the job. So um, I, I've taught a course in anti-heroes. One of the things that's part of the anti-hero formula is a very strict moral code. But the thing is, it's a different moral code. It doesn't pay any attention to societal norms or what people expect or what you're supposed to do. It fits the anti-hero himself personally. And in Riley's case, as I said, it's all about the job. So collateral damage he doesn't even think of his damage. It's just part of the job that needs to be done. Well, that's interesting. I mean, so I think, um, you know, kind of when you compare Riley Wolf and of course, uh, Dexter, there is something very, you know, uh, endearing about these characters, right? Yeah. Uh, which at least with Dexter at first really shocked the hell out of me. You know, I thought I was creating a, a bad guy. And I was just trying to make him just interesting and likable enough so that people would keep reading. But I didn't think anyone would really go, wow, he's great. I wish I knew him. Hey, I have a list for him. And, you know, I was glad that, that it took off like it did. But it was always a shock to me that people actually liked Dexter. M my first hint was before publication of the first book, and I was at a, a meeting with the uh, publicity people at the publisher. And one of them took me aside and she said, you know, I shouldn't say this, 
but I have such a crush on Dexter. <laughs> and uh, I went, really? That's odd. And it turned out, no, no, it wasn't odd. It's a pretty normal thing. A lot of people had that crush. And it's more than just, you know, the the young woman who likes bad boys, because uh, it's people of all ages. I think it has more to do with, you know, it was a throwaway line a minute ago. I said, I have a list for him. Mm-hmm. A, a lot of people have that list. <laughs> so uh, to fantasize about someone, you could hand the list to and go, uh, take care of this for me. My hands are clean, but those people are gone now. It's a, uh, it's fun for some people to think about, I guess. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, but it opens a whole kind of can of worms when it comes to, you know, the endearing nature of sociopaths. Yes. And I love canned worms. <laughs> right. As a, uh, as a writer, I guess you have to kind of lean into this <laughs> cans of worms or dig into them as it were. This episode is brought to you by Shopify, whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, uh, so Dexter is coming back, I understand. Um, it ran for an incredible eight seasons on Showtime with the uh, truly talented Michael C. Hall doing that um, character. Talk a little bit about um, kind of where the series diverged from your own storytelling and maybe kind of your relationship with the, uh, with the production now. Well, the first time around, my relationship with the production was always good. You know, I'd visit the set and chat, um, I became friendly with a couple of the actors, and um, it's. Um, I, I never had a problem with it. I, as I said, I did time in Hollywood, and uh, I know how it works, and I know I got incredibly lucky, because just starting with Michael C. Hall, um, the challenge, and I thought about this as an actor and didn't know how I'd do it, the challenge is for the actor to act someone showing feelings when they actually have no feelings. Mm-hmm. So it's an actor acting, acting, basically. And Michael was brilliant at it. He pulled it off. Um, the writing was generally very, very good. Um, the direct, everything. Um, it, you know, they made a couple of mistakes that I got grief for. They misused the word coño, which is a staple of uh, Cuban patois. And all my Cuban friends called me up the next day and said, Konya, what were you thinking? Why you let them do that? <laughs> uh, not Andy Garcia. He would never use that word. Wow. But um, overall, it was just, it, it was an amazing ride. And for it to go eight seasons, you know, that's magical because that's 
honestly, it's in Hollywood, that's like the breakoff mark for going into syndication. That means no problem. You can syndicate anywhere. And um, that that's bottom line stuff that everybody thinks about out there. Mm-hmm. So I never had a problem with it. Um, I thought I was really lucky. And I still think so. The, the return, the original actors are on board with it from what I've, I've heard. And a real stroke of luck, they got the original showrunner, Clyde Phillips, back. Um, this is something that, you know, unless you're you know in, in the biz, you don't know about or pay attention to maybe. But showrunner is incredibly important. Um, the first time I heard the term, I thought it meant like the messenger. And I'm afraid I was disrespectful of whoever it was. <laughs> but <laughs> no, the showrunner runs the show. It's, it's what we used to call head writer and more so. So Clyde did a terrific job the first time around. And I know him a little, and I know that he wouldn't come back for the second round unless he was confident he could do as good or better this time. If I know him, he's been sitting there for 10 years going, ah, oh, I think I should have tried to go this way or do that. And he's got a list of things that are improvements that they're going to try this time. So I'm kind of excited to see it. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. uh, Is there any interest in turning the Riley Wolf uh, novels into an adaptation of any sort? Absolutely. Uh, In fact, um, I'm expecting to make an announcement soon about a motion picture deal. Um, And... uh, it, it's um, it, it, we should know finally after the holidays, you know what whether this is going to work or not. But um, yeah, I have every confidence in it. <laughs> wow, that is very cool. No, there, it's, when I say every confidence, I always think of a story, and I'm sorry if I have to tell it right now. It's a <laughs> compulsion. Uh, I worked for Steve Allen for four years, and he told me his first big movie part was the Benny Goodman story. And when he was going into the premiere and feeling so nervous and excited, he saw Groucho Marx. And Groucho stopped him and said, Steve, you're going to be terrific in this picture. I have every confidence. Well, not every confidence. (laughs) So I always think of that. That's pretty good. Well, uh, some iconic name dropping uh, is is perfect for this show. Um, Before we wrap up, I will just mention the the latest in the riley wolf series one more time is fool me twice and um it's gotten some great praise of course publishers weekly said readers looking for a page turner won't be disappointed book list called a rousing caper novel and uh it does live up to the billing there um could i could i also just drop this in i'm trying to get much better at plugging and um the paperback for just watch me is just out as well so perfect what a great gift package uh fool me twice in hardcover and just watch me in paperback available wherever fine books are sold (laughs) there's that acting background shining that was the radio announcer oh right right sorry radio announcer (laughs) perfect um yes uh all right so uh if you could have dinner with any author from any era uh all expenses paid of course post-pandemic at your favorite restaurant in the world, who would you take and where would you take them? Boy, howdy. You know, like I said, the, the time in Hollywood teaches you things about people. So uh, I know that I'd be disappointed, whoever it was. <laughs> uh, with one exception, actually, now that I think of it, 
uh, I may have already had that dinner. Um, a wonderful writer named Armistad Mopon. I don't know if you know him. He wrote sure. Tales of the City. Yep. Sure. And I loved his work. And I was at a literary conference in Australia. And my handler from the publisher came and said, Hi, Mike. Wondering if you uh, anybody here you'd like to have dinner with. And I'd noticed Armistead was there. And I said, yeah, Mopan. I'd, I'd really like to meet him. And he did basically a Three Stooges take. He went, blah, blah, blah. really? <laughs> uh, because Armistead's handler had just approached him and said, hey, would Jeff Lindsay like to have dinner with Armistead? <laughs> so luckily, Hillary was along on this too. So Hillary and I and Armistead and his husband found this wonderful little restaurant in Perth, and it had an outdoor courtyard that we had to ourselves. And we sat there for five hours, you know, sipping wine and laughing and telling stories. And it was just a wonderful time. Um, we all four got along beautifully, and he was not a disappointment. He was charming and funny, and we just hit it off. So that may have been the dinner, and it's already happened. I have literally nothing to look forward to. I might as well die. <laughs> Well, I think that's a perfect place to wrap up. And uh, Jeff, we really appreciate you and your work and your wisdom. Uh, thank you for coming on. And um, oh, It's been such a pleasure, and I thank you. You're a wonderful interviewer. And it's truly my pleasure, and uh, we wish you the best of luck. Do come back and visit us again. I'm glad to, anytime. And scene. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of The Writer Files. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or a review to help other writers out there find us. You can always leave a comment or a question and visit the entire archives at writerfiles.fm. And you can chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you next week.